Who are the best players LBJ is going up against? Giannis, his own teammate, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. Dion Waiters. Dion, De- Dion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to do it. I, love I it. like how as soon as I said it, you just started saying it because you just assumed I would say something that wasn't stupid. <laughs> You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. Got a lot of things to talk about in this 507th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris as we welcome you to it. Hope things are going as well as they possibly can be. Uh, in this very unique situation that we're still living with and revolving around COVID-19 and the pandemic. I want to start this episode, though, talking about what happened last Saturday night uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. And I know they've had fights all week long, but I'm talking about UFC 249. Tony Ferguson gets absolutely rocked by Justin Gagey. And Chris tells me, um, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Because uh, if Gagey could find me, he could probably kick the living shit out of me. So I want to make sure I get that right. But Tony Ferguson, is it, to my understanding, had a broken orbital bone. Mm-hmm. He got nailed so bad. Mm-hmm. Wow. And correct me if I'm wrong again, but some people were thinking that Ferguson was a favorite in this fight. Oh, is that right? Oh, for sure he was. And he got just lit up. So the way it worked was, <laughs> first of all, a lot of people have said, oh, this guy looks like the Terminator when he fights. No, I just People have said that about lots of guys before. This really looked like that. This was... I If if you could go and watch this, I would highly recommend it. You, it is something else. And you have to know that when you see the punches, sometimes when you watch a fight, a guy might throw a hard punch, but it's hard to tell how hard it is right. on TV. Right. Just know that Justin Gagey knocks out everybody like i mean he has a lot of power when he connects obviously and he never knocked out tony ferguson though it, there was a minute and a half left in the fifth round fifth and final round right. so there's five five minute rounds right right minute and a half left in the final round the ref had to just step in and just, like tony ferguson was still just standing there ready to fight and it was so bad though he had been punched in the face hard yeah. it was like you know you watch rocky and you're like well, that's ridiculous. That would never happen in real life. You guys can't just eat shots like that all day long. Correct. And just, yeah. Well, Tony Ferguson can. And it was unbelievable. It was for 23 and a half minutes. He just got punched in the face by a guy who punches really hard. And he just kept coming. And he, and he, wouldn't, he wouldn't go down. He wouldn't stop coming. It was just, it was you know, terrifying. I got to share this with you. My most lasting image of the Rocky, the very first Rocky movie. And that came out in 1976. So it's been a long time. I still remember in that first fight when Rocky's in there getting his ass kicked by Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, and they took a razor blade and they cut because his eye had become completely uh, shut Mm -hmm. and it was so puffed up. And I thought it's still a lasting image in my memory to this day of Burgess Meredith, the old penguin, going in there and cutting with a razor blade, cutting his eyelid open and getting the blood out so he could open his eye. That was barbaric to me. And I think it was quite similar in, in, in a real scenario on Saturday night at UFC 249. Well, he, his face was really swollen up. They they showed video the next day of him dancing around in his hotel room, but uh, which is kind of funny too. But Tony Ferguson is about the toughest person on the face of the earth. Well, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, to not go down... Like, 
these a lot of these punches would have knocked out anybody else and he doesn't get knocked out and he doesn't even go down like he just was still just walking around trying to fight yeah and the ref was just like hey we got to stop this is crazy yeah. like this is he can't defend himself anymore but he's not going down like it's wild it was just and this happened over and over and over this had been happening for rounds and you're like he's is he going to go down is he going to look like this hurts him even and but i mean it just I, I think the ref had a hard time even telling like is he just not defending himself but because he's just kind of walking around he finally he finally right before he stopped he finally stumbled a little bit but not definitely didn't go down or anything it was a it was a crazy thing in fairness to tony ferguson so he and habib have been have supposed to have been fighting for years. That fight has been canceled five times. There's Holy never Holy shit. Like five, five times? Five separate like it's just it's like this cursed fight for five times. Okay, we're having the fight and then one guy gets hurt. And then okay, we're having the fight. Oh, the other guy gets hurt. Oh, there's a worldwide pandemic. Like five times. I've never heard of anything like that. I've heard of it once or twice. Two guys are supposed to fight. Five times and then in in, in between that, okay, they fight someone else. Okay, now we're gonna try Ferguson against Habib again. No, canceled five times. It's unprecedented. And in fairness, he's always been really training for that. And even this was really supposed to be this. And you'd think it would have been if it wasn't for the pandemic. And he's been really focused on training for Habib, mostly for the last few years. And Habib is just a pure grappler. So then you get a pure striker like Justin Gagey. And it's the completely opposite thing to prepare for. So I want to give Tony Ferguson some credit for taking the fight on short notice. Gagey had nothing to lose. And he he fought a great fight. No, no taking anything away. Everyone, you know, and it leads to more fights. I mean, now everyone wants to see Gagey against Habib. And everyone still wants to see Ferguson against Habib. And everyone then, depending what happens there, I think people would watch a rematch of Gagey and Ferguson as sure. well. So, so now you've made all these extra fights now. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, Tony lost for the first time in seven years. And looked terrifying doing so. It's hard to look terrifying and scary when you lose. Yeah. Uh, but Tony Ferguson found a way, and he's 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 really really great. And I'm I'm a I'm a fan. He's a bit nuts, legitimately, but he's uh, man, he's tough. So I look forward to all combinations of those three fighters against each other. Real quick, um, from UFC 249, I wanted to ask you this question because I wanted to show off a little bit that I've been paying attention to what you tell me. Cowboy Cerrone loses for the fourth time in a row. What's his future look like? I just like the name, but I knew he lost for a fourth straight time. That can't be good. No, so... Anytime you lose four straight in anything, it can't be good. He's just lost it. Like, and yeah. he has for a while. Like, he, oh, lost okay. his, he lost his mojo or his moxie. While he's such a big name, number one, and he's been doing so long. And number two... Uh, he's such a prolific fighter. Mm-hmm. And number three, he's willing to fight anybody anytime. Got it. He's one of the very few guys he will fight in back-to-back months. Most of these guys, like, okay, who's my... Take some time off after a fight. Then who's my opponent? Okay, now I want to have a three-month camp where I specifically train for this one opponent. I am just almost sequestered there. I, okay, I have lots of time to prepare in each discipline. I have lots of sessions with my wrestling coach, lots with my jujitsu coach, lots with my striking coach, lots with my boxing, like whatever. And you do all this and it, and you, you fight max two or three times a year for yeah. most people. Cerrone's just like, month. I fought and I go, I'll fight next month. Like he, he'll fight 30 days apart. He just, he doesn't care. He just gets in there and bangs. Yeah. He's so good for him. He's like the guys in the old days. Some of them would do that. Like Tank Abbott didn't give a shit in the nineties. He would literally just, he wouldn't even train. He would just drink at the bar. And then he'd, he'd literally say, I just came off the bar stool and came here to fight. Like, 
So it's it, like the golfers back in the day. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that. But uh, Cerrone, I appreciate he's he seems like a good dude, and it was neat because after you saw him and Showtime Pettis, who are both really good guys. I like both guys. You saw them at the hotel together afterwards, drinking a beer together. Yeah. So like that's really cool. I don't have anything bad to say about Cerrone, other than he's just he doesn't have it anymore. Uh, other than the willingness to compete, he's I mean he's got. How many fights under his... I think he's fought more fights in the UFC than anybody else. Now, let me ask you. We're both fans of Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Both would like to be as successful as him someday in regard to podcasts, obviously. Mm-hmm. But was it right for him? Because I know this was controversial at the conclusion. Was it right for him to be cut conducting those post-fight interviews right in the octagon? Mm-hmm. And you know shaking hands with guys and and just like business is normal and i don't think right now we can say what we're living in right now is anything but normal did joe maybe make a mistake there or that's just joe being joe i don't think he made a mistake at all because he was in a closed environment where everyone had been tested No, I, i'm asking you because i'm trying to figure out what the hell the big controversy was sure he's well, just doing his job so the it was suggested to him that he do the interviews, but from the outside of the ring. Correct. Right. Okay. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go interview people. I'm going to stand right beside them. I'm going to shake their hand. Right. Uh, he's going to do it like normal. Now, I he might not do that if he's just interviewing people on the street. True. But when you are in a closed environment and everyone is tested negative for it, then... I don't see the problem. The only reason at that point that you would, you have a closed environment of all people who have tested negative. The only reason you would do anything differently than normal at that point is for appearances, right? Or to just, you know, whether you think you're some role model or you're leading by example or you're whatever, but there's no reason to do it. If nobody has the virus and you're in a closed environment, it makes no sense, to be honest, except for friggin' virtue signaling or some shit where you're just trying to show everyone how conscientious you are and and all that. And that's ridiculous. I'm so tired of that type of crap. So props to Joe Rogan. I don't believe he would just walk down the street and start shaking hands and getting right in people's faces these days. But he will do it in a closed, safe environment where people have been tested. I like that he stood up for it. He wanted to do things the normal way. And I support him all the way. Sounds good. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us on this 507th episode of Unscripted. Mike and Chris, we are here. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I've got an issue. I always seem to have an issue, but I do have an issue this time with baseball players. And my angst is going to be started and directed at the beginning here at at the Tampa Bay Rays all-star pitcher Blake Snell. And he's made news this week. And if you haven't heard, you've probably been under a rock or you've been sequestered. Oh, we're all sequestered. Okay. But anyway, Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays says, if Major League Baseball does come back, and right now they're looking at potentially a July 4th start of a Major League season with an 82-game season, uh, playing basically the teams in your division And teams, for a little bit of interleague play, you'd have like the National League Central against the American League Central. So not a lot of travel, but at least in your team's home ballpark and with minimal travel or as minimal travel as possible. That's what they're looking at right now, an 82-game schedule. I like, I truly like that they're thinking or they're going to be 
getting rid of the designated hitter for this special year. Or excuse me, excuse me. Let me re- let me restate that they're going to have the designated hitter in the National League. So designated hitter all around for everybody. I want to make sure I got that correctly. No uh, pitchers will bat in this shortened 2020 season, which I'm very happy to report. What I'm not happy to report is morons like Blake Schnell. Again, he says if Major League Baseball does not or does come back, he is not going to play unless he is fully compensated to the contract that he agreed to. Um, this is like those two corners that we were talking about in uh, episode 507, I think. 506. 506. The two cornerbacks that were at the party in Miami packing guns. Um, does Blake Snell not understand about perception and how you're perceived? And you come off as a selfish little bitch when you come out in these kind of scenarios that we're living in as a society right now. There are 33 million people alone in the United States right now, folks, that aren't working. And a lot of it has to do because, obviously, of because of COVID-19. And you've got this little juvenile bitch who's getting overpaid for throwing a baseball every fifth day And he says he's not going to play unless he's fully compensated as to what he signed on the dotted line contractually for. Then you've got that other resident idiot that calls Philadelphia home. And unfortunately for me, he is also from Las Vegas, Bryce Harper. He totally agrees with Snell saying somebody had to come out and say it, end quote. These two idiots come off as spoiled, brat, rich kids, and it just just makes me sick of the sacrifices that people are making and the contingency plans and all the, 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 everything that is being done to try to get us baseball back. If you're one of the seven remaining baseball fans and what the NBA is doing to try to get the game and their season restarted and what Mr. Bettman and Mr. Daly are doing in the National Hockey League to get the, the uh, Stanley Cup presented to somebody this year. And then you've got two pieces of shit like these two guys that say, we're not coming out and we're not playing unless we're fully compensated. I just can't believe that these guys aren't smarter than that and understand how you come off in a, in a, in a national forum, how you come off, again, as a spoiled brat rich kid when you're saying silly shit like this, when all of the pain and suffering that's going around around the world And all we're looking for is that little bit of ray of hope that we get to see some competition again. And it's just damaged by idiots like Blake Snell and Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, these guys are just tone deaf airheads and that's all there is to it. You don't have to analyze them too much. They're selfish, they're annoying, and uh, they're ungrateful. And it's really too bad. Even someone like Roger Goodell, who gets all sorts of criticism for anything from the weird job he does to how weird he is to <laughs> making an absurd amount of money even he has decided to make his salary zero while this is going on so this is just unbelievably tone deaf you're being paid because of the insane number of games you play if you don't play those games then go fuck yourself and i think what they need to understand too and it's annoying when people that should be kind of part of the machine and part of the racket, they don't understand it because that's the that's the one thing we ask as common folk here is that you kind of 
know the bullshit racket that you're in and you don't act oblivious to it. The reason you get that that much money, it's for rich people to keep score with each other. You've already got, it doesn't matter how much they actually pay you, you've already got the contract, you've already proven how great you are at baseball and what a success you are and how much money you make compared to most people. You've already got that. The fact that you might not get some of those actual dollars is crazy because it doesn't matter. If you actually need those dollars, that means you're a moron. You're not supposed to need any of that money or very little of that money. I mean, the percentage of that money that you would actually need to even live a lavish lifestyle is minuscule. So if you're having any, if you're actually needing that money, um, then you've got a lot bigger problems than if baseball plays a full season or not. So yeah, I mean, stop being so tone deaf, pay attention, get your finger on the pulse, open your eyes, look around and shut the fuck up. <laughs> Love it. Um, also making news this week from Major League Baseball, but this also kind of rotates around that famous documentary that's going that's being played in the states and not in Canada right now. The last episode is this weekend, the Last Dance docu series in regard to Michael Jordan and the 1997 run to their sixth and final NBA championship, and then they broke up the boys in the band. But Terry Francona, you may know him as the current manager of the Cleveland Indians. He was also the manager of the Boston Red Sox when they finally snapped the 86-year losing streak of the Boston Red Sox when they won the World Series in 2004. I have great respect for Tito Francona. I think he's one of the best managers in baseball. He was also very good in the television booth for the one year that he worked Sunday Night Baseball for ESPN. But this one I have a small bit of problem with. Terry Francona was Michael Jordan's manager at AA Birmingham when Jordan tried to play baseball, if you remember, in 1994. Francona was his manager down there at the AA affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. And Francona said this week that MJ, and I quote, would have made it to the major leagues if he had continued to play baseball, end quote. I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that Michael Jordan, as great of an athlete as he is, there's not, a, in my opinion, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that he makes it to the major leagues. And I know Terry Francona played major league baseball. His dad was a major league player. Terry Francona is one of the best uh, managers in the major leagues today. But I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that Michael Jordan would have played in the major leagues, even if he had continued to play baseball. And the reason why I feel this way is simply this. When you are Michael Jordan and you are the best basketball player in the world, how do you go and then play baseball and you expect yourself and, and are going to carry yourself as one of the best athletes in the world, but when you can't hit a curveball and you batted 211 the year that you played for the Birmingham Barons in the AA League, Southern League, there's no way... Michael Jordan, first of all, one of the things that makes him one of the best athletes we've ever seen is that he's very impatient. He's impatient on the golf course. He's made himself a great golfer, but he's in, obviously he's impatient at the casino table. He was impatient on the basketball court. He just happened to be the best basketball player of his generation. But because he's an excellent athlete, does that going to make him an automatically, according to Tito Francona, it's going to make him a Major League Baseball player? No way in hell, because Michael Jordan would have had committed to me, he would have had to commit at least three or four more years at the very least. To, to nothing but playing baseball for at least three or four more years to get his batting average up, his fielding up, everything that's about the game of baseball. You bat 211 
at the double A level, you aren't going to triple A very soon. And to get to the major leagues from double A, you've got to get to triple A first and then produce some numbers to get the call up to the major league level. I don't think there's a snowball chance in hell because of his burning desire to be the best that he can be at anything that he tries. That's what seemingly drives Jordan. I've read a number of books about Jordan, including one called The Jordan Rules that was written by Sam Smith, who was a beat writer during the Jordan years in Chicago for the Chicago Tribune. I have great respect for Sam Smith. And Sam Smith said in his book that Michael Jordan is just driven to be the best at anything that he takes on. He wants to be the best at eating breakfast in the morning. He wants to be the best at the casino table at night. He wants to be the best at the basketball court when he's playing basketball. And as great as he is at almost everything he tries, you can't be great at everything. And I don't think there's, again, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell because of what he is used to in regard to his athletic endeavors and how good he is in basketball. I don't think he can, he can get to that level playing Major League Baseball, especially since he only played one year. But it would have taken a, a, at least a three or four year commitment. And I don't think Jordan has the patience to become as, as good as he was in basketball. I don't think he has the patience or had the patience to be that good in Major League Baseball. No, he was never going to make it. Uh, 211 in the double A, can't hit a curveball. And he's six foot six, the gigantic strike zone, which was really big for a baseball player back then, and and even Excellent still is now. Point. Excellent point. Yeah, I mean, what, he he didn't really have much of a chance there, to be honest, and it just wasn't going to happen to be, you know, that good at that sport. Even if you look at multi-sport athletes like Bo Jackson, they weren't ever the single best player in their league in either league. That's great that they were good enough to play in both. That's a great accomplishment. But uh, yeah, that was that's just ridiculous. I wish he would have just stayed in Chicago and won eight in a row. <laughs> yeah, no question. How Absolutely. Awesome. Like, I mean, we think about, oh, there's this controversy. Is Jordan the best of all time or not? Or is he a top five player or not? But think about... Imagine if he had just stayed there and they'd won those two and the Rockets never win anything there. Imagine right. they would have won eight in a row and if Jordan was eight in a row in finals. How about then? Like then, there, then is anyone even... See, I don't think there's a debate now. But if Jordan, as Chris had just given us his opinion, if he wins eight in a row, I mean, even Bill Russell didn't do that. Bill Russell went nine in 11 years. But Chris just brought up something else I found interesting this week. The MJ versus LeBron James debate was revived again earlier this week by a writer named Mike Prada. I think I'm saying that right, P-R-A-D-A. For an article on a website called 538. But analytically, in numbers ease, this author is making the case, and he proved it in this article. According to the numbers that he produced, the analytical numbers, he is making the case that the competition during Jordan's days were better than the competition LBJ has faced during his career. Think about the top players in each era and think about how that affects. I mean, Jordan was going up against Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen. I mean, I know it's his own teammate, but just think about basically the 1992 dream team, folks, and think about the talent on that team, that's what Jordan was going up against. Versus now with LBJ, who are the best players LBJ is going up against? Giannis, his own teammate, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, 
Dion Waiters. Dion. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to. I had to do it. I love I it. like how as soon as I said it, you just started saying it because you just assumed I would say something that wasn't stupid. <laughs> no, not Dion Waiters. Yeah. Not even close. John Sally, neither. Yeah. I just find that funny how they can analytically get down to the numbers aspect as to the competition that Jordan faced during his career versus the competition and the quality of the competition that LBJ is facing during his career. Um, LBJ is great, folks. Don't get me wrong. Eight finals trips in a row. And I don't care what anybody says. And remember, during the heyday when Jordan was at the top of his game was when I was at the top of my game. I mean, I'm not comparing, but I was at a national level in regard to, we were talking about Jordan and the Bulls every flipping day. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't help it. It was Jordan every single day. It was about Michael Jordan. And this was, of course, again, during the time when he took the year off to go play baseball, which was a huge mistake. And um, who knows what happens. But I will argue with anybody to this day I think one of the greatest accomplishments that LeBron James can hang his hat on is taking some pretty shitty teams to eight finals in a row. I mean, that's pretty improbable for anybody to make the finals in their respective sport eight years in a row. And think about the guys that LeBron James did it with. I mean, at least Jordan had Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, who could hit a jump shot, John Paxson, but he also had... Uh, Horace Grant playing power forward. He had Dennis Rodman the second time around playing power forward. He had some talent to work with. Even his centers were better than LBJ had to work with because I make fun of Bill Cartwright and Will Perdue all the time, but I'd sure take him over Trist, either one of those two over Tristan Thompson. That piece of shit that screws Kardashians. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the greatest accomplishments LBJ can always hang his hat on is that he took some pretty crappy teams to the NBA finals eight years in a row. And the guys that are in Jordan's corner are going to say, well, that's because the Eastern conference was soft during LBJ's run. And I don't disagree with you because when Jordan was going through the Eastern conference, he had Pat Riley and the Knicks to you know, beat him up all the time. And they had, uh, at that time, Pat Riley also was at before he was with the Knicks. He was with the or after, excuse me, the Knicks. He was with the Miami Heat, and they used to beat Jordan up too. But the physical Pistons, the Celtics. Exactly, I was just getting to that. You're exactly right. You had the the ball busting Pistons. You had the 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 sneaky crooked Boston Celtics, and so I mean there are points to be made either way. But eight years in a row with some really bad teams that besides LBJ. I mean, think about it. I know Chris can do it, but think about it if I was to go out on the streets of Calgary and ask any Tom, Dick, or Harry that's walking down the street and ask them, can you name me anybody off of the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers team that isn't named LeBron James? You can do it. Well, Thompson. <laughs> Tristan, Tristan Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> Here's the other rocket scientist, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith, of course. Okay. George Hill. Was the backup point guard playing in Milwaukee now? So, but I mean, the comparisons just in regard to the 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 roster on the Chicago Bulls of the '90s versus the roster of the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2010s is night and day. 
And I'm telling you something else. I, I, I'm, I'm rolling now. I got to tell you this. I believe there's a very good chance that LeBron James gets the Los Angeles Lakers if we do get to a resume season in the NBA. I truly believe that LeBron James will get through hook or by crook. I don't know, but I just have a feeling he's on a mission to get the Lakers to the finals again this year. And think about it this way. It would be one of his greatest accomplishments ever and would compare to the, some of those crappy Cleveland Cavaliers teams that he that rode his back to the finals. But think about if he doesn't have Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, they're probably not making a finals run. But think about some of the guys on that roster. Cantavius Caldwell-Pope? That sounds like a social disease. It doesn't sound like an NBA player. Uh, Alex Caruso? Um, you know, so again... It's apples and oranges. The The difference between Jordan's era and LBJ's era was minuscule, but there was some difference. And that, of course, gets all the Jordanaires all excited that Jordan was better. Uh, I don't know who's better. All I know is Michael Jordan's number one on my list for one simple fact. He is the ultimate closer. And Chris said it. It would have been amazing if it could have been eight for eight. But it's truly a you know unbelievable accomplishment when you make the NBA Finals six years in a row or six years and win it all six times. Real quick before we get out of here, one more thing to do. I mentioned this in one of our earlier episodes this week, and we've got a couple of minutes. We won't give a lot of analysis on it. No need to be. But just to throw this out there to make you folks aware what the Score mobile app thinks about the uh, top 10 uniforms in professional sports right now. And I'll just run them down real quick. And uh, Chris can have a quick comment. I'll have a quick comment. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap up this 507th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Again, the Score mobile app had a survey going for the top 100 uniforms in pro sports. And here is the top 10. I'll go from number 10 in a descending order down to number one. And I think you might be surprised with number one. I am just assuming that I won't like number one. And I have no idea really? what it is. Okay. I have no idea what it is. I'm, I don't even have a guess what it is. I was surprised by it. I was surprised by I'm it. I'm just going to think I'm going to hate whatever the answer okay. is. Okay. Number 10 is the current Green Bay Packers jerseys. Number nine is the 1960s version of the San Diego Chargers <clears throat> with those baby blues. Number eight is the current rendition of the Chicago Blackhawks jerseys. Number seven is the current... San Francisco 49ers jerseys. Number six, we dip into the college ranks and they have Notre Dame with their current football jerseys on there. Number five is the LA Lakers jerseys of the 1980s under Showtime with Pat Riley, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, and yada, yada, yada. Number four is North Carolina basketball, Tar Heel basketball in the 1990s. Um, Number three is the current version of the New York Yankees. Number two is the Montreal Canadiens, their current jerseys. And drum roll, please, because I know Chris will add the drum roll. Uh, number one, take a guess. Just take a guess. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking you're going to be surprised by this because I was really surprised by this. Mm. National Football League. NFL? Oh. I, clearly by the list, and this is exactly what I expected, you can tell that they give weight to how legendary the franchise is correct right and so like for me to me 
to me, there's no point in making a list about jerseys unless you're talking about the specific aesthetics of the jersey. Correct. If you want to make a list of iconic franchises, make a list of iconic franchises. You want to make a list of jerseys, make a list of jerseys. Don't make it, oh, it's my list of jerseys. It's kind of how cute the... Clearly, he liked baby blue with the Chargers and the Tar Heels. For some reason, I hate baby blue. I think it's an ugly color. Um, I don't know. I just think that's crazy to kind of mix the list randomly. So clearly, it's an iconic franchise. He already said Niners, already said Packers, Dallas Cowboys. Number one on the list, the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, and I, you the know... Silver and black. I was thinking Raiders right before I said that too. I should have said that, yeah. So Packers, Chargers, Blackhawks, Niners, Notre Dame, Lakers, North Carolina, Yankees, Canadiens, and the Las Vegas Raiders round out the top 10. Raiders are reasonable to have on the top 10. I don't know if... I, I hate Montreal. I hate red and blue together. I've Do you? Always, I've always said I hate red and blue together. There's such a, I don't know, red and blue to me don't go together at all. I know it's very American and I, I always hate when I watch politicians, they have like a blue shirt with a red tie and makes me want to barf and I just, I don't like that. I like, like, you know, okay, if I did, a, we could do a list of, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. Let's do a list of our own list of jerseys. Right now? No. No. Okay. For a later no, episode. Another episode, maybe yeah. next week or something. Yeah. Okay, we'll Hold do on, our... just a minute. List, all right, go ahead. List of... Okay, yep. it'll. we'll each do our own top 10 sports jerseys of all time. Top 10 sports jerseys, okay. Okay, but I want the list to be just... You're only basing it on the aesthetics. Just on the physical jersey. Just on the look, like you like the colors, the design, whatever. You don't get to give a jersey extra points because it's the Montreal Canadiens and they've won a bunch of cups. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many cups you've won. It makes no, that's not this list. Just what's what's Just interesting to you and I. Just the look. Do Got you it. do you like how it looks? That's it. Got it. Is it pretty? Is, is it? Do you think it looks sharp? Is it uh, well designed? Whatever. Got right? it. That's it. So that's my list. I right now off the top, just for pure aesthetics, I know two that come to mind, and neither are a favorite team of mine. Um, I've got one in the NFL and one in the NHL that instantly come to mind. And the NFL one would be current, and the mm -hmm. NHL one would be about 1996 or so. Mm. And um, you can, I mean, so it's the colors, obviously. You can factor in the logo. You know, I, I from that era, 1996, I'm thinking of one right now that I really like. Maybe, don't say it, don't say it. No, but, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, but, but think about that, though. Maybe, maybe, does it make your list, you think? Does it make your top 10? Oh, for sure it does. I loved this jersey. It okay. was from a National Hockey League team in 1996. Yeah, I, and maybe it's the same as mine, but just in case, let's save it because it might be my number one or two. I love okay. this jersey, okay. this team, and I'm not a fan of the team. Yeah, but I love the jersey. Yeah, so yeah, so you can factor in the logo yep. and the colors yep. and anything else about the design that you like. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess we're doing jerseys. So like, if you're taking the Cincinnati Bengals, you don't factor in the helmet, really. Like, no, it's this is just the physical, just the, just the jersey, the physical jersey. Correct. So I don't like, I don't know if I'd have any baseball one. Like, does baseball have any baseball uniforms? To me, are are often ugly or like I don't. I like color in the uniforms. Yeah, me too. So exactly. I'm thinking I know of one baseball team that I would use. Okay. And it would be back from the 70s, actually. Oh, yeah. I'd have to think that. But yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I don't even know, like with my Oilers, in, to be honest, I made my favorite Oilers jersey ever. I don't know if it'll make the list or not, but probably because there's a lot of orange. Um, 
I really do like their current jersey, their current their home jersey. The third alternate one or that that orange one? No, no, no. I don't like. I don't, oh, everyone's like, all about that dark blue alternate one. No, I don't really care for. It. No, no their their regular home jersey that's mostly orange. Yeah, that that's the one I like. Yes, that's the one that I like. Because traditionally yeah. the Oilers are more blue, Correct. with orange. These are now what orange I've always with wanted. Blue, yeah. And even like when they made the playoffs in 2017, they had orange with blue, but it was like a darker orange. It wasn't as nice. Now they've got like a nice bright, almost neon mm-hmm. orange. I love that. I like that. Yeah. So I'll 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 say that that'll probably make the list. And honestly, it has nothing to do with you know me liking the Oilers, but orange is my favorite color. So that's. Right. Gonna and be that a big plays thing. a factor, no but, question. But I like bright-looking modern colors. There'd be very, very few older jerseys, like for, for anything before the 90s, that I'd even consider, I think. Now, are we going to put any any team? doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. I've yeah, got no, a couple that'll blow your mind already. Like in weird sports, you mean, or what? No, no, no. But um, back in the 70s, You've heard of the American Basketball Association that that was kind of the they tried to kind of like the XFL. They tried to Mm -hmm. they tried to take on the NBA, the established NBA. And they had some teams in there like Dr. J. You've heard of that name before. Dr. J played for the New York Nets, which are now the Brooklyn Nets. But of that of that ABA league, there were only four teams that were brought in in 1976 that were merged into the NBA to make the NBA what it is today. It was the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers, the New York Nets, and the Denver Nuggets were the four ABA teams that came over to the NBA in 76. But there were some jerseys back in the day from some of those teams, very colorful, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't really know the team. Like There was a team called the Oakland Oaks. Mm. That had an unbelievably. I won't use them because nobody's heard of the Oakland Oaks or whatever. They but if it. you loved them as a, you can put them on the list if you loved. Well, the but I, I want people to know the team that I'm talking about too. Oh, I don't give a shit about that personally. Well, <laughs> but go ahead for you. What what colors did they have for the Oakland Oaks? They were like the Oakland A's baseball jerseys. So mm. they had some green in there, and they had some yellow in there. Or the Packers, and like the Packers, but. But uh, I think that this team was definitely stealing from the Oakland A's in regard to their uniform patterns and and the colors more specifically. I I hate white jerseys. I just think they're boring. I like a little color. But if you have a good color accent on there, they can be good. I really like the... Well, speaking of the Raiders jerseys, I do like the Raiders color rush jerseys, which were all like just I love those, white, yeah, yeah, and have the nice the bright silver numbers. And then the Saints do the same thing, but with yeah, gold. I like that, and too. I wish their gold was slightly lighter. But I mean, I like that too. If it's if it's a really see if it's just kind of white and kind of cluttered and boring, yeah. But if you get just a really just clean, all sharp, like bright white, and yeah. then you have like a cool accent, like a bright color, or I mean, in in. Uh, Hawaii they had uh, for the Pro Bowl a couple times they'd have like really bright neon yellow versus neon orange or something Ooh, with some white yeah, that'd be cool. you know and it's and that can look really good if you if you do it right white jerseys can look really nice but uh yeah it depends but yeah I want to do that I, I'm pretty sure I know right off the top of my head who my uh who my favorite uh, two jerseys are I think all right next week there's a little teaser for you list of the jerseys of the top 10 sports jerseys all time and again, just the jerseys, not the helmets, not the pants, just the jerseys. Now, for someone like now, for me, like my favorite color is orange anyway. So it's right. believable that if I didn't know the Oilers or didn't care about them, 
I would still like that jersey. Mm-hmm. For you, like, do you have a favorite color? Purple? Purple's my favorite color. Really? Okay. Now, if you didn't care about the Packers one way or the other, you know, do you think you would... And this may be an impossible question to answer because you've always just grown up with them. Do you think you would like their jerseys? No. I really don't think. So now if that's the case, then they shouldn't be on they, your list. They're, they're, I can tell you there won't be a Packers on my list. Yeah, see, I'm not a big fan of the Packers jerseys no, either. I, if I'm, just... You know, in front, you know, this is funny. You, you, you probably don't know this. When Ron Wolf came over and came on board as the Packers vice president of football operations and general manager, basically saving the Packers franchise in 1991, one of the things that he wanted to do um, was to change the Packers green and gold to blue and gold. Like the old ones. Like the old ones. Because And that's why he wanted to do it? Because of the old ones? No, he just... I guess he just wanted a change. I mean, you know, like with the Raiders, excuse me, the Rams and the Chargers moving into a new stadium, Ron Wolf was coming in to clean house. Ron Wolf okay. came in in late 1991 and just sum- summarily got rid of uh, Lindy Infante, the coach, got rid of Tom Bratz, who was the pro football. He was the director of player personnel or some shit. Basically, Ron came in, and Bob Harlan, who was the president of the Packers at the time, gave him carte blanche. You do whatever the hell you want to do. And so what he wanted, first thing Ron Wolf wanted to do, and he did, was make sure that all games are played in Green Bay. No more of this in Green Bay for four games. I'm I'm cool with that. Milwaukee for four games. And did you like that? I loved that. Yeah, I think that's right. Because... Old County Stadium, Milwaukee is a shithole. It's a baseball stadium. Even if it wasn't, I don't like the two hometowns. I don't like the two hometowns, and I didn't like Lambeau, excuse me, I didn't like um, Old Milwaukee County Stadium because of the configuration of how you were trying to get a football stadium on a baseball field. You had both teams on the same sidelines. That's dumb. That's really bad. So Ron Wolf changed, obviously, the whole culture by getting rid of Anybody that was involved in the previous administration, he brought in his own, all his own people, brought in Holmgren as the coach. And then the second thing he wanted to do was to make sure that there were no more Milwaukee games. All these games for the Green Bay Packers should be played at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. Sure. And that's right. That's correct. That's proper. That's the way to do it. Third thing he wanted to do was to change the Packer color scheme. He wanted something new. He wanted something fresh, but yet still playing tribute to the Packers' rich history, which in the days going back to Curly Lambeau when they were first originated, they were blue, like those old ugly throwbacks that they have now with the blue and those, those ugly, ugly shit-looking pants. Those are terrible. But also blue and gold would kind of match the Brewers as well. Correct, but I don't think that was... I don't think... I, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I don't believe that was in Ron Wolf's thinking. But... When he announced that he was going to do that, oh my God, it was just like Armageddon and people and Packer fans revolted. People, Packer fans were literally, you know, taking their, those fake shares of stock, taking them to Lambeau Field in the parking lot, ripping them up and they started a bonfire. They just didn't want anything to do with that. The Packers are green and gold and that's the way it's got to be. And so he got two out of three things. But it would have been interesting to see, to me, in my belief, if you would have had the Green Bay Packers being the blue and gold Packers instead of the green and gold Packers. Well, blue and gold to me doesn't work as well. But also, when you're called Green Bay, 
you should be green. I, like, I get that's you. just that's and just, that's what the people were all up. You know, arms like about. oh, and like imagine like Green Bay and your jerseys are orange and white. Like it doesn't. Yeah. No, that's exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, no, that's and that's what the people had the most problem with. How can you have the Green Bay Packers come out in blue jerseys? Like, if they're the Wisconsin Packers, then I guess you can do whatever you want for color. But if you're going to call it Green Bay, and again, you you want to call it Ashwaubenon or Wisconsin, or can you imagine? Can you imagine if they were called the Ashwaubenon Packers? That'd be the funniest thing ever. But spell Ashwaubenon, people. It's really difficult to do. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, Green Bay got to be green. We got to run. On this, uh, let's see, what number are we on? Five oh six. We got to run on this five hundred and five hundred and seven. Yeah, I'll get it right one of these days. At least remember there was that time when we were in the three hundreds, and I was always going back to the two hundreds because I'm not too sharp. But um, we've got to put a wrap on this five hundred and seventh episode of Unscripted. Thank you, sir, as always. We want to thank you all for participating. Hopefully, you're still taking the time out to subscribe. We the numbers are getting better, and any little bit helps. I can certainly attest to that. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, of episode number 507, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.